Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Very important conversation today. If you have ever been with a hijackal, and of course you have, if you're listening to my podcast, you will be very aware of the topic of parental alienation. It's something that we dread. It's something that we know happens. It's something that is a form of manipulation. Some people say it's child abuse. And I'm here with uh, Joseph Goldberg. He is an expert, and we're going to be talking about it, so stay tuned. Welcome to Save Your Sanity Podcast. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler. Are you living with the chaos, confusion, and uncertainty that a toxic person loves to create? Is a partner, parent, ex, sibling, child, or coworker causing you to second-guess yourself? That can be crazy-making. I'm here to help you save your sanity. So let's get down to it and figure some things out now. Stay tuned. So welcome to Save Your Sanity Podcast. So glad you're here. If you're new to our podcast, I'm glad you found us. If you're returning, I'm glad you find value and you you come back. The whole point of having the podcast is to give you support and strategies and skills to really understand better what might be happening that is crazy making and toxic in your relationship. And that includes things like deciding to divorce and what goes on in court, what you have to know to do, and what you might face that you may not want to but need some tips and strategies to do that. And today, that's one of the things we're going to be talking about. If you'd like to support the podcast, go to patreon.com slash saveyoursanity patreon.com slash save your sanity. You can pledge a dollar, five dollars a month or so just to make sure that it defrays the cost of bringing this to you. So today I am talking with Joseph Goldberg. He is an expert in parental alienation and he has so many things to tell us. So welcome to the program, Joe. Thank you very much. This is an exciting topic, not because it's something that like we can all get really pleased about. It's something that we really need some depth about because we can feel it, but sometimes it's hard to define. And so we want to add to your ability to define it today. So let me tell you a little bit about Joe. Joseph Goldberg is the founder of ParentalAlienationEducation.com. And it's an educational site for sharing information about parent-child relational problems in divorce situations. That's very important for you to know. Remember that, parentalalienationeducation.com. And he's a recognized expert in the field. He was the first educator in the United States to co-author and revise divorce education programs to include curriculum content in parent-child relational problems, especially parental alienation, realistic estrangement, and enmeshment. These divorce education programs were accredited by the courts in more than 500 countries across counties, rather, counties, 500 counties across the U.S., And you can go and have a look at those for sure. He is a member of the prestigious Parental Alienation Study Group, which is led by Dr. William Bernay, and he is the author of a continuing education course 
Diagnostic Criteria for, parental, for Clinical Practitioners in the Treatment of Parental Alienation and Parental Alienation Syndrome. So you want to go over and have a look at his website at parentalalienation.ca. Now, you know, I'm a Canadian, I live in the States, so I am very familiar with .ca domains because, of course, that stands for Canada. So go to parentalalienation.ca. So, Joe, what drew you into being so interested in parental alienation? Well, I have a long uh, history of interest, uh, in part because of my childhood, um, and later as an adult, my interest uh, extended to uh, uh, education, uh, awareness, and I decided approximately, 19, approximately 2009 to put on the first conference on the topic of parental alienation. Wow, great. Where did you do that? At the Metro Toronto Convention Center, of all places. Well, sizable venue. <laughs> so, you know, you said you, you had some in your family. Were you experiencing that yourself or did you did have as a, a child? Uh, as a child. Well, it's a very powerful experience, isn't it? When a child who has the DNA of both parents and wants to like both parents and feels drawn to both parents unconsciously, and then one parent wants to win out over the other, and it's a very disturbing concept for children to live within. Did you find that? Extremely so. You didn't know who to please. That's the problem, isn't it? And you feel like you have to choose a parent. And the parent who wants you to choose them is quite insistent. And things get very difficult. So <clears throat> when that happens, and you are the parent, and you, you recognize that you are headed for divorce, and there is a beginning sign that the other parent is not going to play fair, <laughs> they are not going to be equal, they are not looking out for the best interests of the child, they're looking out for the best interests of themselves, What's the first sign that people can really recognize that parental alienation might be beginning? Uh, you normally can tell that parental alienation is a problem by the behavior of your children or your child because they have behavior, behavior that is disproportionate to their reality with that parent, their experience with that parent. So you see a lot of... Uh, conflicts within the child where they may be rejecting you or they may have uh, sometimes what's called splitting behavior where there's a, a change in uh, um, uh, custodial um, exchanges where the child doesn't want to go with the parent that they're rejecting. And so those are sort of the, the telltale signs in the beginning. It's very confusing. You know, I work with couples all over the world or with individual parents all over the world who are experiencing this. And the child is very confused because they're drawn and you can see it on their faces when it's time to, to go to the other parent. You can see the confusion on their faces. Like, I know how I'm supposed to behave to make the alienating parent happy. And I know I'm supposed to be rejecting of the parent that I don't really want to reject. And it's very difficult for the children. So what do you think is something the non-alienating parent can immediately do? Well, 
it's hard to get this information out to the public uh, because uh, there's, there's a lot of erroneous information about what to do in the situation. Um, my advice is to try to find an expert in parental alienation, uh, more specifically somebody that provides uh, some kind of mental health consulting services because that's a, a new branch of litigation support in family law cases. And the mental health consultant is a person that provides uh, litigation leadership for the lawyer. In other words, we um, tend to engineer the strategies that are appropriate to a person's individual case. Mm -hmm. And so that's the first thing really that someone should do. They should reach out to an expert, try not to rely on information that you find online through your own research, uh, because there's a lot of information on the internet that's uh, counterproductive. Let's just say that. Well, yes, but you know, I, I think that we, there's something that people can do beforehand. Um, they're maybe not ready to, to declare that this is what's happening. They're starting to have a feeling that, all right, I see the conflict in my child. I see the tension that arises before the time between exchange to the other parent. I'm beginning to feel the distancing that goes on. I think children often begin to distance when they're, they're going to the alienating parent. And maybe I'm not ready for an attorney. I'm not ready for a mental health consul consultant, even though that's what I do and that's what you do. Maybe I just want to be able to say, is this really happening? Are there some clues that we can see in the children? Clues that we can hear from the other parent that would cause me to say sort of check, check, check. Yes, that's happening. Well, I think that's what people tend to do. They... You know, they, they do some research online. They uh, identify some of the uh, criteria for parental alienation, and then they self-diagnose the problem, which is only adding to the problem because um, there are very few cases, uh, percentage-wise, that are pure cases of parental alienation. Normally, they involve uh, more complex factors, such as the contributions of the rejected parent. So a lot of these cases are hybrid in nature. They're not uh, just pure cases. And if you, if you want to resolve a problem, you have to adequately diagnose it. And that's not something you can do by yourself. That's something you, you have to uh, open yourself up to with the help of an expert. And that expert has to do a rather uh, thorough forensic review of as much information as they can ascertain because uh, you have to look at court records, you have to look at email communications, you have to look at uh, a lot of data uh, to determine what some of those causal factors are in that parent-child relationship problem. Right, I understand that completely, but that's not going to help me when it comes to exchange time with the other parent. What do you suggest that somebody does if they are noticing the shift in the relationship what do you do to help the child? Not what do you do to help your case, but what do you do to help the child? Well, um, again, I, I'm going to go back to what I have uh, started with, which is um, you're not going to know. You're only going to be able to guess. And guessing is possibly going to make matters worse, not better. I often tell people that 
they shouldn't put the strain and the stress on themselves to try to figure all this out. They, they should be working with an expert who could tell them what to say and what not to say and what to do and what not to do and, and how, to, how to respond to the other parent um, in, in an appropriate way. And, uh, you know, people talk about approaches that are child-centered with alienation and high-conflict cases. And if you're going to be child-centered in your approach, um, you can't do it without an expert helping you. So don't try to do that. Well, I, I think, though, that we need to give the listeners a few of those ideas that you would give to someone if they were working with you. Like, what would you tell a parent to do? What would you suggest is, all right, we've agreed that there is parental alienation. What are you going to suggest that they do? How are they going to conduct themselves? How will they monitor themselves or filter themselves so they don't make the problem exacerbated? Well, again, you have to have um, some understanding of how uh, that child's experience translates um, in their relationship with this parent. And um, stress is, a, is an important factor that um, is very helpful today in uh, a new approach towards um, interventions in this area because um, stress impairs someone's cognitive functioning and it, it creates a dynamic where there's a loss of self-control and then there's inappropriate or overreactive responses. So minimizing the stress for the child in particular is the primary objective because um, even mild stress can be severely um, disabling. And in children, it's particularly harmful to their development. So everything that... I would suggest to a parent going through this process is we have to figure out how to downregulate that stress for the child. Even how if do you do that? Well, uh, sometimes you have to compromise in ways that are um, helpful and supportive of the child's needs rather than your determination to have, let's say, access or custody on a particular day. If the child is overly stressed, it would be better not to put the child through that much um, conflict. Yeah, so let, let's break that down into what that actually looks like is you're, you're taking the child out to the car and maybe there's more than one child and that child all of a sudden uh, doesn't want to go, just simply doesn't want to go. And Yes, you can say all the right things like, you know, well, it's daddy or mommy's time and you know how this goes and you'll be coming back and it'll all be fine. And then you notice that this total reluctance in the child, they're stiffened, they're stressful, they have this anxious look on their face. And at those moments, the other parent is very wise if you can have an agreement, even better. But if the other parent can say, oh, well, let's get together another time and take that off the child. That's a really good thing to do. However, if the other parent is the alienating parent and that's why the child doesn't want to go, 
that's not going to happen because they're going to say, and you get in that car, young lady, here we go. Or I'll promise you 14 ice cream cones if you come with me. And we have a problem there. So this is a really big issue for people, isn't it, Joe? Very big. There's yeah. a lot of conflict. There's a lot of conflict in terms of uh, internalizing what should I do and how should I handle a, a situation. And, and people don't really fully understand that that many of these uh, events are staged events designed to try to test the rejected parent and to try to get them to, um, to react in a way that could be used against them in litigation. And so people, have a, people in this situation don't have an awareness for the risks that they're taking, not only in terms of how their behavior could contribute to negatively impacting the child, but adversely affect their cause in court. Yeah, that, that's a very important consideration that many people can't wear two hats at the same time to recognize, which is I, I've got this going on in front of me and I have to and want to take care of my child, but what's in the best interest of how it looks and how it gets recorded and reported when I go to court? And that's very hard sometimes to have your heart pulled in one direction and your head pulling in another. You know, I, I see that so many times. Of course, my clients are all people who are in toxic relationships. So they're in relationships where there are people with the people that I trademark the term hijackals. So these are high conflict people. These are difficult people. These are crazy making toxic people who have their own self-interest at heart. They want what they want. They want power over the other parent. They want to alienate the children so that they can have them as pawns and weapons of war. The problem with a toxic parent or a parent with any tendency towards personality disorder is that they only want to win it's not the big interest in the well-being of the child. It's in the having more custody. It's making the other parents suffer. And many times I've found, particularly in people who are, are well-situated financially, is that the alienating parent will fight for the children tooth and nail, and they have more funds to do so. So they'll get more custody time. And as soon as they get that, they hire a nanny and take off. <laughs> they don't care. So they just want to win. They want to have domination in the situation, control of the situation, and they want the children to either really like them, so they're willing to offer Disneyland kinds of of offerings, or they want to be very coercive, very coercive, and of course, everything in between. And really what parental alienation is about is a disregard for equality in parenting. And I was interested to see the American Psychological Association define parental alienation syndrome this way. They said it's a child's experience of being manipulated by one parent to turn against the other targeted parent and resist contact with him or her. And that makes it very clear. One parent is trying to tell the child that they don't want to go with the other parent. And they may do that by saying, well, you want to stay with me all the time um, and they will do anything to make that so. And, but you know, when you look at the origins of parental alienation, 
in 19, I think 1980 or so, when Bowlby started talking about the shift in attachment, and we were talking about attachment theory, and, and there was a shift. Well, we're talking about really basic psychological things here, aren't we? Well, you know, it's interesting you touched on that point because there is a, uh, there is a therapist uh, today, a psychologist um, named uh, Dr. Craig Childress, and, and he has uh, reformulated uh, his theory on um, parental alienation. He, I think he calls it attachment parental alienation. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and he uses the principles of, uh, uh, you know, psychology, evidence-based um, models uh, to better define it and uh, to approach it as a problem. Yeah, so for listeners, it's important to understand about attachment theory. What we're really talking about is how children are bonded to the people that they have to look to to survive. And if we have secure attachments, which is the holy grail of attachment, (laughs) that we know that we're welcomed by joy, we know our parents love us, we know our parents have our best interest at heart, we feel comfortable, we can relax, we don't have to take on any adultified considerations and situations, we will have secure attachment. But if we don't have that, there's a variety of other kinds of attachment we can have. And it may be insecure, it may be anxious, it may be avoidant. Um, All of these things will happen. So when another adult, the parent that's supposed to have the best interest of the child at heart, decides that the parent's interest to win the child is more important, then all kinds of tactics come into play. And that can be really destructive to the children. What's your experience of watching that? Well, I, I can tell you that in the literature, there's a, a somewhat of a converging uh, opinion that parents that uh, program their children with alienation are themselves dealing with a personality disorder. Either it's a narcissistic or borderline personality disorder. Those are the two clinical profiles that they have for these parents. And so essentially what it kind of comes down to is that a lot of these parents, they, they don't have any insight to how their own behavior hurts the child. So, so that's what makes it easy for them to look past it. And, um, and, and they are um, sociopathic. Uh, they have no, no sensitivity for how uh, they emotionally abuse the children. And so, um, when you have a parent that, that has um, a belief that everything that they're doing is justified and to, or to protect the child from the other parent, because in their view of that other parent, that's how they see it. And they don't have any other perspective to balance it out. So, Yes. And, you know, just to simplify even that, When you have someone, whether or not they can be diagnosed, it doesn't matter. They're not going to go for diagnosis anyway. The only time a parent is going to have to go for diagnosis, if they go to a hospital, they go to a prison, or they get a 730 evaluation. So don't even worry about whether or not a person has a diagnosis. That's why I created the term hijackles, so that we could talk about patterns, traits, cycles, behaviors of these people. We didn't have to bother with diagnosis. We can just say if they have these tendencies, if they have these traits, these patterns, then that's what you're dealing with. 
and you need to be aware of that. So people who have these tendencies, these hijackal tendencies, they, they have so many fearful needs within themselves that were created when they were young that they just want to have everything. They don't want to take responsibility for anything. They're not accountable for anything. They're always perfect. <laughs> They're always righteous. They always have to win. And so it becomes when there's a, a, a divorce, it becomes how do I take as many spoils with me as I can so that I can win? And those spoils may be the house and the bank account, but they're also the affection and the physical dimension of children. <laughs> and they, they turn children into pawns and messengers and weapons of war. And this happens frequently with or without a hijackal behavior. You will see some people who will do that in divorce because they are unhealthy within themselves. They have no idea what equity or reciprocity or mutuality is in a relationship. They haven't experienced it. And don't go putting on your compassion hats, everybody. This is just a fact. They have not experienced it. Therefore, they do not have that gift to give. And so they want to say, how can I keep as many as my toys as possible? How can I keep them all near me and have control over them, even if I never play with them? And that's what the children actually become. Now, there is some controversy about parental alienation, isn't there? When you come to the court and when you come to people trying to uh, use it in, in court. Well, uh, that's correct. Uh, there is controversy because, uh, well, for one thing, it's not in the DSM. So uh, in this kind of a dynamic, uh, it usually surfaces uh, with couples who are going through separations or divorce or in post-divorce relationships mm -hmm. with children. And um, it's controversial in part because um, uh, it's difficult to prove uh, parental alienation without some supportive evidence from some court recognized expert because courts often rely on experts to guide them in their decisions and rulings. And so you have uh, lawyers who will argue that it's not in the DSM, therefore it doesn't exist. And you have people who say, well, I'm being falsely accused of alienation. Um, but even though there are people who use alienation in some situations to uh, cover up a bona fide abuse and maltreatment of a child, uh, that doesn't mean that uh, parental alienation doesn't exist. And in the same respect, just because some people uh, make false accusations of sexual abuse, uh, that doesn't mean that sexual abuse doesn't occur every day. So it's controversial. Well, yes, it is. And, you know, it's experience-based. It's experience-based in, in the hearts and minds of the children of the targeted parent, the one who is not alienating, and the alienating parent because of this whole dynamic of winning and the child becomes a pawn and we don't think about what it's doing to the child. A person who is toxic simply wants the child as spoils of the divorce and they don't have a way to validate the child in any way except do what I want, make me happy, be in service to me and make me look good. And so the child learns that dynamic early on. But even if there is not toxicity, if there is not any tendency toward personality disorder, sometimes 
divorces go really wonky and because people become so fearful of loss they just they just feel like their entire being is somehow going to disappear when they lose something and so they try to hold on to their children so i want to be you know kind of broadly based in this conversation because it's not just people who are toxic but it will happen when when we have a severe need to win or a severe need to not experience too much loss and and that can happen so you say on your website that you can help lower the risk of false accusations how do you do that well um you have to have uh the help of an expert to somewhat audit uh the circumstances you place yourself in uh, if a person has a, a temptation for a dessert it's best to avoid the bakery and <laughs> You know, if you have a, a, a parent that you cannot co-parent with and you always find yourself in a risky situation of conflict, you, you have to have somebody help you understand how to deregulate that conflict. Mm-hmm. What if the, per- the other person will not in any way enter into any kind of mediation experience or even take ownership for what they're doing? Well, that's the expected response uh, in all of these cases with alienating parents. Uh, that's what is the normal behavior pattern. You expect a high amount of resistance. You don't expect any cooperation. You don't expect them to have the viewpoint of what's best for the child, even when it's so obvious. And so you have to surround yourself with the right professionals uh, legal professionals, mental health consultants, uh, mental health consultants that provide therapeutic interventions to help repair the critical thinking and the damage that's done to these children. And mm-hmm. this is a problem which doesn't impact just the immediate family members. This, this is a problem which spreads like a virus to members on both sides of the extended family. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of taking of sides that happens in these situations and right. entrenchment. So, so things can spiral out of, out of control rather quickly when you have all this polarizing opinions of each other and then the children are caught up in it and they're um, being programmed with a lot of false information and distortions and sometimes just outright lies. Well, and also there's another factor, Joe, which is that in a particularly in a in a situation where there are several children, and the alienating parent has a tendency toward personality disorder, is that they discriminate among their children. They will have a golden child who can do no wrong, and then they'll have a scapegoat child who can do no right. And sometimes in these alienating situations, they want their golden child, but they don't want their scapegoat child. And then the courts say, well, no, we don't distinguish between the children. And and then we get into a very, very toxic situation for the scapegoat child to have to go with the parent who doesn't want them and is going to damage them further. And that's a big issue too. You know, I I can think of a case right now where the, 
the mother and father were, the father was extremely toxic, is extremely toxic. He's definitely diagnosable. And he just was so horrible to the mother. And what often happens in that situation, there are two children, an older son and a younger daughter. And what often happens in this situation is that a woman, and the research by Gabar Mate shows this, that a woman who has constant stress and anxiety without relief is nine times more likely to develop breast cancer than women who are not under chronic stress and anxiety. Now, it's my extrapolation that says I'm talking about this in toxic relationships, but he talked about it, just general stress and anxiety. But she did develop breast cancer, and it really was her out. There was no safety for her in the relationship. She couldn't protect her children from this man. And he was grooming his son to sexually abuse the, the daughter. And then they were doing it. Now the woman died. And the two, the boy and his father have access to this little girl. And there is nothing that can be done about it. Now, that was parental alienation while mom was alive. It was within the home. It wasn't even within divorce. But then we get this consequence. So it's a much bigger picture. If we really find that someone is dedicated to parental alienation, they must be right. They must be the chosen parent. They must be the one who wins. And the message that it gives to the child. How do we even begin to say to someone, you know, someone comes to you as a consultant and they say, no matter what I do, I can't find a way to, to get any equity. What's my first step? What would you say? I would say it's a good thing that you're talking to me, first of all, because there's no way that you can convince an alienating parent, one that has programmed the child into the more moderate or severe stages of alienation to, to cooperate with you. That's just not going to happen. And the first thing you need to do is just accept that reality and move on towards a strategy that's going to help your children and help you. So that process begins with the help of an expert in parental alienation, a mental health consultant, if the children are minors, there's an opportunity for a court intervention. Uh, the appropriate approach to this problem is a therapeutic intervention, not more uh, strategies aimed at uh, trials with litigation, with custody evaluators, or more conflicts with other professionals who also don't really help in moderate or severe stages of alienation, like there are people who were guardian ad litems, and there are people who are parenting coordinators. I don't mean to badmouth everybody, but for the, for, the, for the large part, their services are not helpful in cases of extreme alienation. They're counterproductive. Hmm. Well, as a mental health professional myself, I'm also a professional mediator. So I have experienced this in the last 35 years in so many ways. And so I do know what you're talking about. But I also know that there are many people who are in relationship with a toxic person. Divorce looms. The toxic person has control of the finances. The, per the person who is not toxic, the targeted parent, does not have the funds to go and hire a whole lot of people to help them. 
and they they lose in every possible way in most cases is there anything that someone who cannot do this can they represent themselves can they talk to their primary attorney and give them some clue from your expertise that could say, look at this or word something this way so that at least we have a chance of uncovering what's really happening. Well, you know, the problem is for 95% of the population um, that is dealing with parental alienation, they are not uh, people in a financial position to hire an army of lawyers and mental health professionals and experts. So I try to assist them with uh, strategies that they can work with within their budget. Yeah. And so um, you, you, have to, you have to think about how to help somebody in that situation. And there are some things that people can do that they may have thought were outside the possibility of what they could afford. For example, there, there are lawyers that you can hire on a limited scope retainer off the record who can handle negotiations, proposals, help you with uh, preparing motions and help you prepare to represent yourself in court. Um, their fees are substantially less because you're hiring them by the hour and they're, they're working for a specific, on a specific goal or objective. Mm -hmm. And, uh, there are other people, like there are mental health consultants, who do the same thing. They will work on a, a limited scope or a flat rate retainer sometimes where you can bundle a lot of time for a, a small portion of the cost and represent yourself. So there are different approaches. There, there are lots of things that you can do. And, um, and, and some of these approaches uh, have to take into consideration how to deal with something outside the legal system because sometimes the legal system isn't the, the answer for everything. And sometimes you have to find a solution to deal with your financial situation until maybe you get into a better financial situation and then you go back to court, but there has to be an in-between strategy for dealing with these issues. And so again, if you're not talking to an expert who can give you the right guidance you're not going to get a lot of helpful advice and things are going to, things are going to lead towards a negative outcome. Right. And you do have parental alienation education.com where people can go and, and learn more about this whole syndrome and what's really going on and get some really great information. And yes, of course, everybody can't hire an expert in everything. I mean, when you're, when you're leaving a hijackal, you need a parental alienation person, you need a forensic accountant, you need so many things that you often can't afford and, and don't have access to. But I'm so glad that you have information available and you've shared some really good things with us today, Joe. So thank you so much for being my guest. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. My guest today is Joseph Goldberg. You can find him at parentalalienation.ca parentalalienation.ca or you can go and get information at parentalalienationeducation.com 
it's so important to learn all the facets of what might happen when you are in relationship with toxic people. And divorcing them is one of those. Parental alienation can be a big piece of that. So I'm so glad I was able to talk with you, Joe, and bring this information to folks. So I hope you enjoyed this. If you have questions about it, certainly feel free to uh, go on to my page, Save Your Sanity Podcast. It's on Facebook, facebook.com slash Save Your Sanity Podcast. Ask your questions. Talk about it. When, when this interview is, is up, we keep a thread underneath there so that you can ask your questions. So important. I'm Dr. Rupert Shaler. I'm so glad you spent this time with me and that you let me spend this time with you so that we could move toward a happier and healthier life for you and your children. And you know what I'm going to say, because I say it at the end of every broadcast. Take very good care of yourself because you're precious and you matter. And it will allow you to do the best you can in life when you take good care of yourself. Talk soon. Thank you for joining me on the Save Your Sanity podcast today. I hope you've had some new insights, some ideas and strategies to help you gain clarity and confidence for moving forward toward greater emotional health and safety. You deserve that, and so do your children. If you found value here and would like to support this podcast with a dollar or five each month, please do so at patreon.com slash saveyoursanity. Learn more about how to work with me by a video conference, join my optimized circles, or subscribe to this podcast on my YouTube channel at my website, transformingrelationship.com. Talk soon.